This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Richard and myself have been up to on the 28th of December. That includes digging deep into the new UAE unemployment insurance. This morning, speaking to recruitment expert Toby Simpson, he's the CEO of Striver.app, about what it could mean for hiring, firing and how employment contracts are written. We've also been having a look at the Chinese impact on tourism and real estate. That news that China is lifting quarantine uh, for incoming Chinese travellers, so returning Chinese travellers. Uh, we've been speaking to Luke James, General Manager of the Hyde Hotel in Business Bay, about what it could mean for tourism, and Jean Jahenke, COO of Property Monitor, about what it could mean for real estate activity and prices. Plus, a new EFG Hermes report suggests that we're making up about 12% of IPO business by value. We have a look into those numbers. Let's look in a bit more detail at one of those top stories, the booming UAE IPO market. Stocks are sold on the stock market. A company is kind of like a pie. pie. A stock is a slice that you buy. Because if the pie is popular to eat, then the slice is worth more on the street. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Um, we've certainly had our slice of the pie this year. We know it. We've been talking about it. We even started a special section here on the Business Breakfast um, to uh, have a look at how it actually works in practice for those who do want to buy into our IPO boom. And now the international numbers are bearing us out. New report from EFG Hermes looking at the size of the global IPO market in 2022. Um, not a big pie this year. A lot of companies taking it out the oven during COVID. The metaphors could continue, um, but we're looking at about $91 billion in value globally. We are $11 billion of that, and that's not counting the joint Abu Dhabi Riyadh listing, which is almost $2 billion of Americana, the fast food company, speaking of indeed actual pies in the way of Pizza Hut. So we're about 12% of that IPO value, which is huge. And it looks like it's going to continue. Um, Abu Dhabi officials speaking to Bloomberg have said that they're expecting to see 11 IPOs um, minimum in Abu Dhabi this next year. That's what's kind of lined up, if you like. And we know that for Dubai, we've got a, a whole tranche of government listings that are set to go private, either all or probably part of semi-government entities, because we were playing quite a fun game of who was likely to list, weren't we? Our uh, fantasy DFM league, as it were. I think we, 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 we all have. We, we all got it right, because Tom had TCOM, the mm-hmm. business park people, that's listed. I think you had Dewa, which not only listed, but you bought it. And I think I had Salik. You did. We all tried to take a little bit of Emirates, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get Donata? I think I got Donata. Yeah, I think that's probably the favourite, isn't it? That That is. Um, but there's, I mean, there's the airport itself. If you were, if you were going to look at these things, um, airports, ports list, um, and infrastructure has been a big play so far for the, the DFM. We've um, also seen the district cooling company, and now we've got two district cooling companies on there. Um, Salic, I would argue, is infrastructure as much as it is um, anything else, whereas down the road in Abu Dhabi, it's been more energy and derivatives, hasn't it? 
Uh, yes, exactly. A lot of spinning off various bits of Adnock. Uh, small bits, you know, Fruity Globe, who'd heard of them, and the petrol stations and stuff like that. I mean, no, no one's buying the crown jewels of Adnock on the stock market anytime soon. Although they did it in Saudi Arabia, didn't they, with Aramco? So you never know. But yeah, it has been small bits of, of big divisions. I mean, what are the government behemoths are that we've already had bits of the kind of the ports listed and then delisted haven't we Mm -hmm. that's happened before Abu Dhabi ports is now a listed company in Abu Dhabi so that would be one to look at because it's all been steady stable revenue things hasn't it rather than speculative startups that they've been doing Um, next cab off the rank well I mean everyone's looking towards the airports and aviation in general what might that look like we don't know I don't think anyone's expecting Emirates the crown jewel you never know but but something aviation related in 2023 i would be surprised if we didn't get something aviation related yeah and schools is one of the other big ones there've been a lot of rumors around gems haven't they um we saw talim um go and uh, and gems is one of the other ones that people are wondering will we see a stake sale will we see a listing sam elkani's actually just doing a, a couple of numbers for me and pointing out that yes um we were around the sort of 12% mark or so um when it comes to the money raised this year but he's saying we were also three of the top 10 global ipos this year um when it came to the amount of money raised dewa barouge and americana and he says in terms of subscriptions the amount of time that each IPO was oversubscribed, uh, we were actually more than 26%, so more than a quarter of the global market this year. Well, that, that is interesting, isn't it? Although it does raise another issue, and various experts have mentioned that to us, is the use of leverage in buying into IPOs, which tends to inflate the oversubscription levels because it becomes almost self-fulfilling. If you know, for example, when you bought into Dewa, you applied for what, how many shares? Oh, gosh, I put down nearly 100,000 Dirhams. Dirhams. And I think I ended up with about 5,000? 5,000, exactly. So when, when that happens, and a lot of that, which, which means people, if they want to get 100,000 dirhams, have to put down 2 million. Mm-hmm. But you borrow that money. Yeah. So you leverage it. So and it, cross your fingers it, that it, it goes up. Exactly. It, it, it becomes self-fulfilling. And you, you, know, you get your small allocation, then you repay the bank. So you've only borrowed the money for a short amount of time. But I know, for example, Mohammed Ali Yassin, veteran broker and investor down the road in Abu Dhabi, has spoken to us about that. And he would like to see the regulators look at the use of leverage in buying into IPOs. And I think that's, that's valid for 2023. Look, it's going to be a big year regardless. We will continue to report on it. And I think there'll be a lot more interest. I mean, I took myself off to the um, DEWA, um AGM that was down at one of the address hotels in downtown a couple of, of weeks ago. I was one of about four people in the audience um, and two of them, uh, I think, were involved with... Um, well, I say in the audience, that's a lie. The, the white chairs in front of me, the nice posh plush chairs, if anyone's ever been to an event here, you'll know there's a row of comfy seats or two rows of comfy seats at the, at the front. Um, I was not in those comfy seats. Those comfy seats were filled um, by um, those involved with Dewa and, and, and the, the company, etc., and dignitaries themselves. Um, but in terms of sort of the, the Joe public, if, if you like, there were, there were three or four of us sitting there. There were a lot more online 
um, people not necessarily coming out for the AGM itself. And there was actually only one thing on the agenda as well, um, which was the other reason that maybe it wasn't the most interesting annual general meeting that everyone ever had. It was, are we going to give you this dividend? If you're an investor, you're voting one way. And I think about (laughs) 97% of the vote or something was, yes, thank you. We will take that. Um, And you've also still got one major shareholder as well, haven't you? So you know you've got your, your quorum. But it will be interesting to see if those rooms start to fill up with retail investors who wouldn't normally be going to those kind of of AGMs, who have the opportunity to do so. I mean, if I'm buying, I don't know, what have I got? I've got shares in a couple of hotel companies like Marriott, for example. I'm not going to the Marriott AGM. I'm not in the same country. But if you have the opportunity to, and I'd like to tell you that the snacks were very, very good, um, then why not? Exactly. And, And then you get into, well, then do you have activist investors? And, and hedge funds buying into companies listed here. We haven't really had that yet. But as the quota of shares that are available to foreign investors increases, you could get, you know, a Carl Icahn type figure who's been an activist investor in the United States for many years who comes in and says, strategy's dreadful, sack the board, uh, we need to do this instead. Uh, culturally, that would be interesting with His Excellency Altair at Diwa. We're not there yet. But, you, you know, you follow the story, you follow the narrative down the road. And where does this where does this go? Yeah, it, it remains to be seen how sort of invested from an emotional point of view, as well as from a financial point of view, um, the expat population, particularly because there's always been a, a sort of a, a strong national interest in the stock market. But how wide that can grow. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. And having a look at our big story of the week, and probably next week as well, because the 1st of January, the UAE's new unemployment insurance scheme kicks in. It is mandatory. What does it mean for hiring and for firing? Very pleased to be joined now by the recruitment expert, Toby Simpson, uh, the CEO of Striver. Dot app. Toby, it's lovely to see you. Great to be here. Thanks, Brandy. Such a cheerful topic with which to <laughs> kick off the new year. Yes, I know. Yeah. January blues, not fun enough as it is. It's, uh, let me talk about redundancy and, and those sort of things. Are you already having discussions about the new unemployment insurance with your clients? Uh, no, uh, but that's probably um, it, it's, it, it's probably more to do with uh, the, um, the, the focus being on festive things rather than on uh, uh, anything more serious. And I think also, as, as, as your, your, your guests um, pointed out, it's the onus is on the employee, not the employer. And I don't see this really falling into the lap of the employers anytime soon. Well, let's look at what might affect the employees and what um, perspective changes we might have when it comes to the way um, we start and finish employment. Basic salaries is one that our Clyde & Co lawyer was was talking to us about. If you lose your job under the insurance scheme, the amount paid out is 60% of your basic could it change the way that contracts are negotiated and written up? It's been a long bugbear that there is actually, as far as I'm aware, and, and uh, probably your lawyer will come on and, and criticise everything I'm about to say, but there is no hard and fast rule about the proportion of basic salary as a total uh, percentage. So the, the, the kind of the norm that everybody follows, and I haven't really seen anyone breaching this too too far, is like 60 to 66%. I've seen it as low as 50, but I've never really seen beyond that. You know, I've, I've heard about it in the media and that sort of thing. Um, and the onus is actually on the employee to keep it that way. And I would like to see, you know, the government is being more and more and more progressive. And I, I 
probably, you know, it, let's give it one to two years before they do away with the whole base salary thing uh, entirely. I think we'll probably will see a, a review of the gratuity scheme onshore, and that will probably be an impetus for uh, for doing away with the importance of the base salary and moving everything towards gross salary. Because it's always been sort of urban myth, hasn't it, that the reason companies keep that base salary as low as possible is to reduce the gratuity overhead. I think it is. I think it is a you know a factor with with, uh, with you know with some employers, and everyone will have a you know a hard and fast rule. There is a balance sheet liability. It's kind of difficult to account for, um, and uh, you know it leads to some disputes with your auditors. So you you try and stick to a hard and fast rule, but actually as a liability, it's it's time in terms of the proportion of your payroll. Could this change what employees ask for when they're joining? Could we see this become a point that gets negotiated, a higher basic, if people know that this is what their their buffer would be based on? I think with most companies, you have a pretty fixed percentage of this is what the base salary is. And it's consistent across all employees because it makes it a lot easier to administer in that case. And actually, it doesn't make a, you know, a huge amount of difference in the grand scheme of things. You know, this new scheme is absolutely fantastic. You know, the, the, so to quibble over the base salary to get yourself one side or the other of the five dirham, 10 dirham thing, you know, isn't really going to move the uh, isn't really going to move the needle for anyone. And you know, I, I did some maths, which is always a bit dangerous just after Christmas. And uh, it, it kind of turns out if you were earning fifteen thousand dirhams as a base salary, um, it would take you four hundred and fifty years um, to make it not worthwhile. So you have to get you have to be made unemployed once in every four hundred and fifty years to make that scheme worthwhile. It's seriously good value and not really worth quibbling about your base salary. About. But the base salary is also what you get paid out on, 60% of it the is, base salary. Yes. So the higher your base, there's a big difference between getting 60% of 60% and 60% of 100%. Well, yes, now we're going to do even more math. So if it's if it's 66% and 60% or, or 50 and, uh, and, and 66, there will be a, a small difference, but it's a, it's a 60% of that difference. So if it was you know, a difference between, you know, 50% and 60%, it's a difference of 6%. Okay, I guess wow, what I'm saying... myself sa- tied oh, no. up in circles here. Sorry, let me, let me put it a different way then. If company... If, if your entire take-home was just your salary, your base salary, getting 60% of that when you're laid off as opposed to just 60% of, of your base salary is a big difference. It is a big difference in terms of your, your lifestyle, absolutely. And I think when many of us are unemployed, we, we batten down the hatches. It, frankly, I think this is a fantastic scheme, and I'd like to have seen them be more ambitious with it. I'd like to see it on gross salary, and I'd like to see the, uh, the, the limit from, move from three months to at least six months. Because finding a job here in the UE, particularly in the more senior uh, end of the spectrum, can take a lot longer than three months. The interview process here is never wonderfully quick. So actually extending that out and, and bringing that threshold higher higher, doubling the premiums. Why not? No one's going to complain about moving from five dirhams to 10 dirhams or 10 dirhams to 20 dirhams. Let's let's make it genuinely something that that makes a real difference to people's security here in the UAE. And that hiring is interesting. What difference will it make to the available talent pool, this this three-month buffer? <clears throat> well, I think that's fantastic. That's one of the major benefits, particularly if this was made more ambitious, is it means that we don't have this situation where if someone loses their job, we lose that talent to the talent pool here in the UAE and they go 
back to their home country. So for employers, it gives us a bigger pool of immediately available talent to snap up quickly when we need it. It also, you know, in the event of a downturn, you, you have this kind of liquidity boost when all of a sudden, just because a few people have been made redundant, you don't take all of that money out of the economy. There is this injection, you know, at a, at a, you know, at a downturn of, of more capital into the economy. And simply just for employees, the, the key thing is, it makes you more able to take a decision about moving to a new job with a bit more confidence. So if you're in a boring, steady job that's paid a salary for five years, but you're not going anywhere, you're not learning anything, and something new, funky, and entrepreneurial comes along, it, you may have viewed that with a bit more risk in the past. But now there's, there, there is a safety net. It's, it's not a huge safety net. It's a, it's a good safety net. And it just gives us a little bit more confidence to act you know, a little bit more proactively. Will it? Make people, though, change the way they leave a job. It only kicks in if you're terminated, not if you <laughs> resign. Will we see people hanging in there? So a lot of these situations come with a conversation with the employer anyway. And the employer genuinely, when they're letting someone go or, or you know, there's, there's a situation, there tends to be a lot of empathy on both sides. So I can see people being considerate. Now, in, in a, so if you're trying to get fired, so you get your you get your gratuity, if you're dismissed for, you know, sort of a gross negligence or one of the, I think it's the Article 21 factors that if you do something bad, this, you know, you won't get this benefit anyway. So it does have to be a case of you being made redundant and not just deciding to jump out. But we have a lot of, as you say, um, empathy and, and grown-up conversations when, when people are let go. And there's quite a lot here of, look, you know, if you want to resign, this isn't working out. Rather than us letting you go, it looks better on your CV, etc., etc. Will we see less of, of that? Will we see people saying, no, I, I want to be terminated? I think so. And I, I don't remember a time when anyone's actually ever showed me a termination letter, you know, as their recruiter or even on the other side as I'm hiring them in as, as HR. So, um, you know, we don't we, we don't really ask too far exactly what the circumstances were. Now, you know, we would like to know if it's been a particularly short period of time and there's a risk there. But, yeah, I do think that conversation would uh, will happen a lot more and there will be, as a percentage, more people actually being terminated rather than resigning. 30 seconds, what does it mean for industries such as real estate that are commission only? Could it change the way this is structured? I don't think so. I don't think so because um, those uh, industries rely on a flexible, uh, a flexible, um, effectively, uh, liability for payroll. So when they bring in lots of cash, they're happy to pay out lots of cash. When they don't, they don't. So they will keep their liabilities low. I don't see that changing. Toby Simpson is the CEO of Strither.app, speaking to us about that unemployment insurance that will kick in on the 1st of January. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Dubai property prices surge on, showing no sign of a Christmas slowdown. That's according to the latest market report from Property Monitor, which will be out a little bit later on today. We're very pleased to have in the studio the Property Monitor COO, and now, apparently, the Director of Market Re- Intelligence and Research at Cavendish, Maxwell, uh, a man who seems to have acquired another hat since we saw him last. Jean Jehinke, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Morning. We're going to find out why you're moonlighting in a little bit. <laughs> but first off, what would, you, what would we normally see in the run-up to Christmas? Uh, typically, transactions slow down. Um, the busy time, September, October, November, and we start to see it taper off late November, early December, and then it tapers off and be, starts to pick up again, sort of February, March. Um, we've not seen that. Uh, we've hit over 10,000 transactions in November, uh, putting us on track to about 95,000 transactions for the year. So it, it's continuing with strength. Why? 
Very interesting. Um, dynamics of it have shifted. Um, a huge portion of that now is off plan. Right? Um, if we look at the numbers and really get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's about 55% in off plan properties under construction right now, um, reverting back to that 60 40 split that the market typically was. Um, coming out of COVID or into COVID, it reverted, right? It went to the completed property market. That's where most of the transactions will happen. It's been slowly changing that dynamic ever since, and now it's heavily populated by off plan. One of your previous reports, you were concerned about the amount of off-plan coming to the market. Is that concern growing? I'm always concerned about supply, right? Um, Record number of launches too. We're at about 45,000 units have come to market. New units to come to market this year will end probably over 50,000. That'll be a record. Um, Right now, a lot of that is being picked up. It's being absorbed. that can't go on indefinitely. Yes, we've had influx of new buyers and people coming in, but the pace that it's going on, I think what developers are, and some probably need to do a little bit more, is learn from the lessons of past. Carefully gauge what they're putting in and when they're putting it into the market and not potentially flood the market and put us in a position of oversupply. What cripples most markets, what takes that, what bursts the bubble, what takes a, a, a bull run to a bear run, majority of the time, it's oversupply. And yet we have a new investor that will be able to travel again. The The Chinese market is coming. What will that mean for us? Dubai always seems to be the net beneficiary of things, right? Um, the Chinese, from my, from my experience, they love real estate in their investment portfolio. Um, the fact they're traveling again, I think we're going to go back to see the trend what was pre-pandemic, where the Chinese investment was starting to really grow in Dubai. So you're probably going to see that coming back into the market as well. Um, again, from experience, Chinese love to buy around a couple of different things. Um, one is the kids go to school somewhere, right? Getting them out of the country, send them to school. Another, somewhere they can get citizenship or longer-term residency. So now that you've got golden visas and options for longer-term residency here, that checks another box for them. The third is to, to park money and capital appreciation. So a lot of those things coming into alignment, I think you will see those numbers start to tick up again. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes back to the, we've got tour buses going around from project to project. Um, and I think you'll probably see a lot of that demand go into that off-plan market. So again, could play in favour of developers, could help keep that all, all under control, but something that should be closely monitored. What could it mean for prices? Um, so looking two markets, we've really got to look at it this way. The completed and ready market and the off-plan market. I think you're going to see completed and ready in villa and townhouses. It's really started to plateau. It's found a, a, a normal pace of things. It's matured. It's not going crazy. Apartments prices are still ticking up. So those looking in some major key areas that are popular, it could continue to drive prices up there. Sorry, Brandy. <laughs> um, and the off-plan market, um, developers are launching those projects. Each time they launch a new one, they're adding a little bit more on a price per square foot basis. So it may put some upward pressure on those prices. But in general, yes, probably put a little bit more upward pressure, but I don't think you're going to see huge jumps come into the market. What's your outlook for 2023 in general? In general, um, market remains strong. I think those transaction volumes will start to taper off. They can't keep going indefinitely. Price appreciation overall uh, will continue its slowdown, right? So we've, we were looking on average um, about one and a quarter percent month on month appreciation um, throughout the current recovery. But the last 12 months, it's dipped down to under 1%. So I think going into the year, we'll probably see five to 8% price appreciation in the whole over the year with the tail end of the year, probably seeing a couple of small dips in the market. What about 
rising interest rates. We've still, according to the the Fed, got a wee way to go. Is that going to weigh in on our market and how? Yeah, it's going to have an impact. Again, in in that ready property market where there's mortgageable property, it's going to take some of the ability to purchase out of the equation there. It's not really going to affect the off-plan segment. By the time those properties off-plan hand over, we'll probably see rates normalize, come back down. um, But it will take some of those people buying for end juice potentially out of the market. Speaking of purchasing, you appear to have acquired another um, job title since we saw you last. Cavendish Maxwell, a couple of weeks ago, took a majority stake in Property Monitor. What does that mean, not so much even for you, but for, for us? What does that mean for the market? Um, so it's a good thing. Look, they, they took a majority stake in the business. Um, we now... Uh, Can you tell us how much? Um, great question. Um, what can I tell you? Um, it comes on the back of us having a really good year, um, pretty much doubling our revenues, expanding where we're, we're selling products and other things. We're used by about 50% of developers bringing inventory to the market, 80% of the brokers selling that. Um, so it put us in a good position. Um, You're not going to give me a number, are you? Board's happy with a number. However, um, the exciting thing is it's actually a bigger part of Cavendish Maxwell overall play. It's the first acquisition in the flagship in their innovation hub. Um, We're actively looking at other acquisitions as well. So strategically, we don't want to sort of reveal the numbers and the things behind it at this stage. Um, So I'll stay mum on the number for now, um, but it is the start of some pretty good things to come. Are you expecting to see more consolidation in this market in general? We've had people buying into real estate platforms, real estate agents buying into real estate platforms, Cavendish Maxwell taking a stake in you. Uh, very quickly, 20 seconds, are we seeing the all the ends of the market move closer together? Yeah, I think we will, across the spectrum. I mean, Cavendish Maxwell is a, a, a real estate advisory consultancy and valuation business. Valuation is tied to mortgages, right? So if the mortgage market shrinks, there's going to be consolidation there. Mortgage brokers as well, that's going to consolidate. You've got some big players growing in that business there. Brokerages right now, they'll continue to expand while the market's hot. But then, say, 12, 24 months from now, you'll see further contraction there. I also think you might see a couple of developers come together and potentially merge. Interesting stuff. Jean Jahinki, CEO of Property Monitor and now Director of Market Intelligence and Research at Cavendish Maxwell. Thanks for your time. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We're counting down to the economics of New Year's Eve. Well, it may be quiet on New Year's Day, but it's going to be rocking on New Year's Eve around about Burj Khalifa. One hotelier with a hotel overlooking the Burj Khalifa and the fireworks is Luke James. He's the general manager of Hyde Hotel in Business Bay, and he's with us now in the studio. Morning, Luke. Morning, Richard. Thanks for having me. So talk us through the economics of New Year's Eve. What's it going to cost me to go to your hotel with a nice view of the Burj Khalifa on New Year's Eve? Depends where you spend it, Richard, but uh, we've got a few options. Um, Katsu is probably our, our number one uh, viewing, I guess, platform from the fourth floor. We see a, the, the Burj Khalifa is perfectly framed between two buildings uh, in Business Bay, and that's 1,450 dirhams. So uh, a lot that's more your affordable Japanese than Nando's, correct. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more affordable than Nando's. What, what isn't? We had the guys from Nando's in yesterday. If you weren't listening, just to recap, it's 5,000 dirhams per person for a seat on the terrace. My, my mother-in-law was listening to that interview yesterday, and George was brilliant from Nando's, and he's very candid. It's 5,000 dirhams. She thought it was 5,000 dirhams for table, and she was like, my goodness, did you hear? Nando's are charging 5,000 dirhams per table. And then I had to say, no, they're not. It's per person. Um, so you've got that. Um, what other 
assets do you have? And how do you price those in terms of some have a view of this fantastic view of the fireworks? Great, you can charge a premium for that. But you have other outlets as well. How do you juggle that, Luke? Because F&B is a big part of the Hyde Hotel. Yeah, it is. Clear on our ground floor. Uh, look, again, stunning view. Um, same location, but on the on the ground floor. So perfect view of the Burj Khalifa. We've got it at 950. Um, so Levantine Cuisine. So Katsu has premium meats, um, premium seafood, sashimi, the best Wagyu beef, um, and therefore it's priced slightly higher. Cleo, Levantine, a lot more family-style um, cuisine, so we've priced it at 950 Still going very well outside. Um, and then inside, we've dropped it to 600 um, Obviously, at that stage, you can walk out and enjoy the view come midnight, um, but we've priced it slightly lighter, slower. Um, and then our rooms, of course, rooms and suites. Um, at the moment, we're pricing about two and a half thousand uh, for the night. Uh, uh, is that with a view? That's with a view, correct? Yeah, and we, we've got hardly any rooms left. We'll hold out now. Uh, on the day for the day, last year was our first year. We'd just been open a month, but on the day for the day, we picked up around fifteen, twenty rooms and suites on the day for the day. People not wanting to fight traffic or or uh, wanting to experience a hotel on New Year's Eve. So we'll, we'll hold out last minute, um, keep our prices. On the whole, we'd say for the industry, there's not a shortage of demand for premium viewing spots for the Burj Khalifa fireworks at the moment, whether it's Airbnbs, whether it's hotel rooms, whether it's restaurants with a view, whatever it may be. Is that your sense within the industry as a whole, that the demand is strong despite the prices being high? Look, we're, we're really strong. I, I get a feeling um, the beach properties are slightly lower this year, but certainly in the city, um, from our intel that we have from the likes of STR, all of us in our, in our surrounding area are trading very, very strongly um, and rates are, rates are as high as they've ever been for most of us. So then what happens on New Year's Day? As, as you two sang, all is quiet on New Year's Day. Does everyone leave and, and then you're down to like 40% occupancy or what happens next? No, we're strong until, I mean, we've got the Orthodox Christmas, you know, in, in early January. Um, we then get into Chinese New Year later in January. So even our, even our January is looking very, very strong at the moment. Um, right up till middle of January, Arab health at the back end of January. So no, January's um, very strong. Have you got a plan B for if it rains on New Year's Eve? Inside Brandy, or we've got everybody can enjoy umbrellas. Uh, but no, look, we're, we're, we're hopeful. Gee, it's been, it's been unseasonal the last few days. Um, luckily, our spa and in-room dining uh, business has, has skyrocketed. But uh, no, we've got umbrellas. And then uh, even our in, internal areas have good views of Burj Khalifa, so we're lucky there. Talk to me about who's booking, because the the big news um, in the last 24 hours has been, of course, the lifting of that quarantine for Chinese travellers. Has your phone been ringing? Not as yet. Uh, Look, we knew this day would come, um, given the numbers of COVID in China. I I guess it's come a little bit earlier than we would have thought. We've maintained our contact with our major partners. Some of them are still are still. Um, you know, trading. Uh, some of them will get going again. Um, but we've been maintaining contact every couple of months. How are you? What are you hearing? You know, uh, on the on the ground in China, this day's been coming for a long time. Now we'll start to intensify those discussions over the coming days, early next week, and we'll go out to contract and 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 look. China will will become, you know, one of our top five markets again. 
Which is my question. I mean, I know the hotel you're in at the moment has only been operating for a year, but you've been operating in, in the UAE for a lot longer than that. How important is the Chinese tourist and how much do they spend? Hugely, hugely important. Uh, like I said, a top five market. I've only got, I've only got awareness of, of a small portfolio of hotels, but it's, it, it was top five for all of those that I know. And if it's not in your top five, it's in your top ten. Um, is there incremental spend within the hotel? Uh, look, not as not, not as much as other markets. I've got Italy in the house at the moment. I've got Israel. Um, I've got Lebanon, uh, UK, Saudi, all very good spenders within the hotel. China not as strong, but it's the it's the mere volume of of traffic um, that that come in, and, and they just love the city, don't they? We, and we're so also excited to to welcome them back soon. You also mentioned the Orthodox. Christmas. Um, with the influx of, of, of Russian visitors, are you expecting that to be busier this year? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not in my top five in the market, but it's it's not going to be right now. It'll be it will be in, in early January for that first week of January until about the eighth, eighth or ninth when they start checking out, it will be absolutely in my top five. And what about Chinese New Year? I think it's the twenty second yeah. is New Year's Day in China this year. Is the quarantine air, or quarantine for returning passengers ends on the eighth of January? So that's about a two two and a half week window. Will Chinese New Year come a little bit too early to move the needle in twenty three? Uh, maybe, maybe they've announced seven days. Now, normally they take a little bit longer than that off. So I was surprised it was only seven days leave for, for Chinese nationals. Um, but look, we're still excited about it. Um, we're waiting on what the entry requirements will be. But given the given the history of Dubai, we think it'll be it'll be you know no no negative PCR required. Whereas some of their major Japan have announced they'll require a negative PCR. I understand. So you know even our VIP doctors company rang us yesterday to say can we come back into the hotel and and it's likely that they may need one when they return to China, which is highly likely. So even that side of the business is starting to to boom as well. Uh, finally, 2022, if you look at your occupancy rates, you're closing the year. What did you close out, roughly speaking? About 71%. It was our first year, Richard, so we, we did drive really good volume for our first year. Um, next year, that will grow a little bit, um, but, but I guess this year was about getting the hotel known in the marketplace, so... A good rate. Well, listen, it's a busy time for you and your colleagues, so we'll let you get back to work. I suspect you're going straight to the hotel this morning rather than back home for a, a breakfast and a cup of tea. Uh, thanks very much indeed for getting up early to join us this morning. And talk about the economics of New Year's Eve. That is Luke James, General Manager of Hyde Hotel in Business Bay. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.